Thank you so much for tuning into the How We Rise Leadership Podcast, where we are redefining leadership and helping you step into the leader that both your destiny and humanity is calling you to lead and to thrive as a whole life leader and to lead all areas of your life well. If you are not currently subscribed to our podcast, whether or not you listen to them on iTunes or Spotify, please click subscribe so you can get alerts on new episodes. Typically we drop new episodes on Wednesdays and that way you can get alerts. If this podcast is supporting you, we would love for you to leave a comment, which then helps us get our message out there to more people. And the last thing is I wanna gift you with a chapter from my book, This Is How We Rise. It's the resilience chapter, and it really has all these amazing tools to help you turn obstacles into opportunities and to help you reframe around challenges. So you can subscribe for our newsletter at shesummit.com. That is shesummit.com. Sign up for our newsletter and you will get a free chapter of our book. And again, thank you so much for being part of our She Summit community and the How We Rise community. So without further ado, I want to announce uh, my amazing guest today. Her name is Michelle Meyer Ship. She is the Global Chief Diversity uh, and Inclusion Officer at KPMG. I've known Michelle for many years, back when she was at Prudential and leading diversity and inclusion there. And we're gonna talk about building virtual inclusive culture, which is so relevant to us right now. So hi, Michelle. Hi, Claudia, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much again for joining and and uh, being a part of this conversation. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So I wanted to, you know, we were talking, you know, earlier about, you know, right now working in DNI and working in this area of social impact, philanthropy, diversity, inclusion. You know, if anything, especially for everybody in this Zoom room, you know, which. We, we either it's, it's our paid job or it is something that you know it's a volunteer position or something that we're as an executive leader that manages teams like we have to care about diversity and inclusion and yet we're hearing a lot how like this is the role that is getting furloughed like these are the categories that are you know like it's a nice to have versus keeping the lights on and so but why is it we were talking about why it's so important if anything we have to double down on on this topic right now so can you share more about that Absolutely, absolutely. And I couldn't agree with you more, more, Claudia. I mean, right now truly is the time to double down. And I think, you know, one of the conversations I've had with a bunch of my peers is around how it is prudent upon all of us as, as IND practitioners to make sure that our leaders and our organizations understand that the IND impacts that, that COVID is having right now on our society. So, I mean, anyone, all you have to do is Google um, you know, the news and news articles or, you know, read any recent streaming that's coming across Twitter. Um, there are tons of issues impacting diversity that is resulting from COVID. So by way of just a few examples, you know, we've been dealing with for months now issues and topics around xenophobia, you know, and Asians being bullied and harassed and just awful things happening to Asians across the country um, because of all yeah. the bias and stereotypes related to the virus. We also have seen tons of articles around the disparate impact that the virus is having on communities, black communities, Hispanic communities, 
and, and the fact that they are not getting the same access to healthcare, medical attention that they need. Um, and then clearly, I think what touches every single one of us in some capacity is if, if we're a caregiver of any type, whether we're working at home, caring for children, caring for parents, or we have an extended family under one roof that we're trying to take care of, and that's all happening during our workday. Um, the caregiver conundrum is real and present. Um, domestic violence is on the rise, um, and people with disabilities are even more challenged than they were prior, right? So I think for all of these reasons, it's really, th these mm -hmm. issues make it really clear why organizations cannot lose focus on diversity and inclusion, why they need to be caring for their people and really being thoughtful that there may be populations of their workforce that are impacted in ways that others are not and they need that extra support. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's what you just covered is so many of these invisible realities that we don't, and when you think oftentimes you think, okay, you know, workplace and, and what programs are we rolling out and, you know, for our ERGs and our women's networks and our different communities. And, and it, it's almost like what you just mentioned is such a, it's such a deep, invisible layer of what's behind all of that. So how, you know, obviously two, I feel like it's been about two months since it all really hit hard. I think it was like early March where everybody just started working from home where the world was very reactionary and, and big businesses. So, and I, you were, you were doing this research and, 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 but there's a gap, right, between what is really happening in these diverse communities versus like what is leadership is thinking about and how do you get, how do we get our companies to actually pay attention to these things? Like what can we do as inclusion DNI leaders and any leader, right, to, to, to speak to management about how we need to pay attention? You, you have to start the conversation because here's the thing, people don't know what they don't know. And I think you just made a great point, Claudia. I mean, the bottom line is, if you're not living the experience and you're not diligently reading the news, um, which many of us don't because it's too depressing, um, you're going to miss it. So for, for me, it was actually fascinating to watch at KPMG. There were leaders who totally got it. There were leaders who saw the news stories and reached out to me to ask for more insights. But then there were leaders who literally would say to me, hey, Michelle, what do I need to know that I don't know? So I'm fortunate in that my leaders come to me but I appreciate that in many organizations that that may not be the case. I would suggest that one place to start is with your HR team because your HR teams are managing all things people related right now. They're the ones that are supposed to be front and center and thinking about the issues that are impacting your professionals. So if you, if you don't know where to start with raising awareness, mm -hmm. the raising awareness mm -hmm. conversation should really start with HR. And in particular now, you know, to Claudia, to your point, I mean, the first couple of months was, you know, oh, oh my God, what are we going to do? Let's get settled. And now it's, okay, what is the future of work? How yes. are we going to move forward? Yes. You know, how are we going to manage and engage our people? So it's a critical, critical time for HR um, to be aware of these issues if they're not already. Yeah. And, and in terms of, we talked also about, you know, for those that you know, because many companies economically are getting hit right now, right? And and also it's easy to look at DNI and and feel that this is it's more important to keep the lights on. It's more important, like we we need to hit our numbers this month, and so there needs to be that business case as well. So, um, you know, in, in terms of like how do you how do we get? And what I'm hearing also from the marketplace is like those that are 
those that are truly invested in DNI, you know, are 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 investing in these initiatives and really being proactive about what you're talking about. But those that aren't are are doing the furloughing and and you could just sort of tell, right? Like this is an opportunity for real to really see true authentic leadership because DNI is one of those things where it is really easy to sort of check a box and copy doesn't match culture often and um, and so this is really, if anything, you know, when we're speaking to like the corporate community, we're really encouraging them to, 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 to be innovative right now. And to actually, you know, we have a lot of permission to actually just learn from our community and hear what the needs are and, and actually innovate in a very improvisational way almost. Like that's okay right now. It's almost as if we have the permission to do that and be really authentic. Well, it's funny. So, so, when you, so just to piggyback on that, right? Diversity drives innovation. So, so for the for the for the true purist around the business, you know, for that leader who doesn't get the HR angle of it, you know, another angle to think about this is is just what you just said. It's like, look, we are in a space and a time that we never saw coming. We need to reimagine the future of work. We need to potentially reimagine the way we reach and touch our customers. So to to get the best and the boldest and biggest ideas, you need diverse teams, right? Group think is not going to get us out of this. So, and it's fascinating, you know, what happens when you sit in rooms with diverse teams right now, and you're talking about the possibilities for the future, because all sorts of ideas come up that people might not have thought about. Just by way of example, the other day, I was having a conversation with our return to work team, and we were talking about masks. And someone actually said, and, and I didn't have to be the one to say it, which was great. Somebody actually said, well, what about those at our company who are deaf and read lips? Mm. We can't use the ordinary mm. mask. And, and that person happened to be aware of this issue because he has a family member who was deaf. Mm. Think about if he wasn't at that table mm. or if I wasn't at that table. No one might have thought of that, right? Mm. And as we're reconfiguring mm. workspaces, you know, how does that impact, you know, our, our professionals who are disabled? So there's, there are all of these issues that diverse teams can help weigh in on with, where with, without that, you're going to miss a huge opportunity. So the business case there for me, um, that's another angle you can take that's not so much focused on the HR piece. It's more focused on driving the business forward with innovative solutions. That's powerful. And so I want to, so let's get into how we can be mindful of creating that space for those conversations that you just mentioned and get, and creating the channels of communication where you can actually hear from your people. I always say, you know, we can't solve what we can't talk about and we can't innovate what is invisible. And so we really, and, and that, and that, that collaboration, that top-down, bottom-up collaboration too, um, and opening up those channels. And I do believe that we have this intimacy now with Zoom and like video conferencing rooms, right? Like when you're having a team meeting or, you know, a one-on-one -on -one with your boss or, you know, an ERG meeting or whatever it is that, you know, we can really, um, you know, this is an opportunity for us to actually maybe even accelerate creating a more authentic, inclusive culture, thriving culture, because this virtual piece how do we, in a way, you know, not think it's a bad thing, but really see it as an opportunity? So I'd love to talk through some of your your pieces of advice around how we can create a more inclusive virtual collaboration. Well, let me say this first. So, so the 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 way this came to be 
was, you know, at our company, we were having a conversation around, you know, what are some of the pitfalls we need to make sure we avoid as we all work virtually. Um, and we recognize that there are a lot of issues that happen or can happen when you're virtual. So one is, um, you know, there is a potential for your people to feel isolated. Um, and there is a potential for any underrepresented groups who may have felt isolated before to feel completely um, disconnected now, right? So we decided as a, as a team um, to really come up with some tips for our leaders to think about how they drive virtual inclusion. I mean, I literally, KPMG, our professionals spend 90% of the time on the road visiting other offices, high touch in person. So this was, this was kind of a big deal, right? We have 80, 89 offices, leaders all over who are running offices that have now gone completely virtual. So this has been really helpful um, to get people kind of in, in sync on best ways to stay connected. The first one about communicating often and in different ways has been just beautiful to watch unfold. The bottom line is this, people are disconnected. Mm. We need to keep them engaged. We absolutely have to keep them engaged. And I particularly believe that with our most underrepresented populations, it is even more critical that we keep them engaged for all of the reasons that I discussed at the top of the discussion. So here, what's been really neat is our leaders have taken this to heart. Our CEO does a firm-wide weekly check-in call um, with our professionals, and she literally calls it just a check-in call. Um, and the leaders across the offices do check-in calls. So it's like videos. We can see each other. We can talk to each other. There is a venue in which people can ask questions. But the other really fun thing that I've seen, and I actually have really fallen in love with this, is leaders are sending in mm. pictures of their work environments. They're sending pictures of their mm. office mates, whether it be a dog, a kid, a parent, you know, another family member, they're sharing recipes. So we're finding all kinds of different ways to stay high touch so that we don't have people who are mm. feeling isolated and alone. So finding ways to do that has been really neat. I, I traditionally work out of our New Jersey office in Montvale and our Montvale campus, for example, has this SWAT team now where all of our leaders are every week, a different one of us is sending out a video with pictures. So last night we did our family photo shoot for the Montvale leader check-in board. So it's just a really way to touch people. Um, I think when you are getting your people engaged at, at a team-wide level and you get, like I host a weekly call with my team, we do a check-in call. We have a team meeting every week. It's making sure that everyone on that meeting has a chance to speak and be heard. I literally will go around to every person and say, how are you doing? Why don't you check in? We do check-ins and that's what we actually call them check-ins. It's like, hey, Claudia, how are you doing? How Corey, how are you doing? And literally give everyone a chance to be heard. Again, appreciating that there's a heightened potential for isolation. Um, and once people open up and start to share, something magical happens because we all realize that we're mm. navigating the same concerns, we're navigating the same uncertainties, and people actually feel a greater sense of connection than they might have felt had they not engaged. Um, oh, I just wanted to add to that in, in the sense that 
you know, I think that we're also contracted all the time. Like we are, you know, running and getting a hundred things done and emails out and our work done and obviously everything that's happening at home. And whether or not we're working from home or not, that's, you know, this is probably all a very, this is a very ambitious, affluent, you know, professional network here. So, um, and, and so when you are getting on that call with your team, you know, you feel like you have to have it all together. And, and there's something about checking in and just saying, how are you doing that shifts energy? You know, like energy, I would say energy is like what we, we, what we receive and what we project and that it's almost like invisible messages that we're sharing. And there's a, there's a, there's a shifting to that human energy. And like you, all of a sudden you contract less, you relax more and okay, like let's have a really good connection meeting and, and really be human and, and share. And cause at the end of the day, you, you know, you spend half of your life at your company, right. With your, with your colleagues and, and there really are your second family. And so, you know, this is, um, so I wanted to say that I think that check-in piece is just so nice to let everybody breathe. But, you know, we actually, last week we checked in and we went through our check-in pretty quickly. So someone said, Hey, let's do a scavenger hunt. And we literally like this team of 14 people, we did a scavenger hunt. Like one, buddy, so one person called out like household items and we all kind of ran around. It was, and we put music so cool. on. I mean, it was really, really fun, but it's to your point, Claudia, so cool. like watching the check-in calls and how they've evolved over the last few weeks. You know, like the first week there was this consistent sense of panic um, and just uncertainty and everyone was sharing and realizing that we all are feeling the same thing. You know, like week three or four, people were kind of settled in with, okay, we've got this, we can do this. And then another week, it was like really kind of quiet because I think we were all realizing, oh, wow, this isn't going to end as quickly as we thought it was going to end. So mm-hmm. every time we come together, there's a, there's a different realization mm-hmm. that we're on the same page. And I think it just makes us that much more connected. So it's been neat. Right. I think um, yeah. being mindful of the meeting time thing has been really interesting. Um, and I'll give it to you from two perspectives. You know, one, as a leader myself and as a leader of a team, I've had to intentionally be really thoughtful about, you know, when I'm sending emails, even if I'm trying to catch up on the weekend or after hours, I purposely don't log in and connect to the KPMG email system like live because then my emails go through. Instead, I put them kind of in a draft mode until the next morning because I don't want the folks on my team to feel pressure to respond after work hours. So that's been one thing that as a leader I've had to think about. The other thing that I've had to think about is the fact that we've got to be cognizant of being realistic on our expectations of people navigating work life. It is Ramadan, for example, right? So are, are those who observe Ramadan do, are not eating all day. Mm-hmm. They are breaking fast after dusk with family members. You know, I, to, I told my leaders, please don't schedule a meeting at 7.30 at night. You know, what if someone's mm-hmm. trying to break fast and, and do, you know, prayer time? So really being thoughtful about that. On the flip mm-hmm. side, I also, you know, in a, in a colleague capacity, mm-hmm. have had some really awkward moments where I've had to say no to a meeting um, or say, no, I'm sorry, it's dinner time. I can't do that. Um, but I realize that if I don't do it and I don't role model the behavior, no one else will. So I had a very well-meaning peer reach out to me the other day um, to ask if I could right. do a 6.30 meeting. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't. Um, six, we eat dinner at seven. And that particular night is my night to cook. 
there are four of us in the house and we all, everybody cooks a different night. I said, yeah, sorry, I can't do it. And she wrote me back and she was like, thanks so much for your honesty. Like I didn't even appreciate that it was possibly dinner time for you. I was just trying to get everybody when I could get them. I said, well, yeah, we'll try another time because that's not going to work. And we ended up moving the time. So that's been really just being considerate of others. And I think it's so important for leaders, especially who are more senior in the organization or who manage those teams to actually role model that. And, you know, other people can see that, right? Because then in a way it's, it is, it's, it, I always say that it's, it's much easier to teach than it is to model. You know, it's really hard to actually model everything that we know is the right thing to do and, and really being mindful of our own behaviors and, you know, and, and to create that culture. But, you know, back to our, our whole whole life leadership model, like you just represented whole life leadership is like that, what you just did creates a culture of for whole life success, you know, and, and that truly is like, we need these courageous people and companies to, to really represent that change. Otherwise things aren't going to change. Right. And one of my passions of getting into corporate and bringing, and, and gender equality, because I used to be more in the consumer world and I, I wanted to move into corporate because I'm like all the good women or the, 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 the people of color, like they continue to leave because, because it's the change is easier to affect outside of a company, but actually like we need those people to stay in and change the future of work, right? Like, like and this is the time to do it. So I really appreciate that. No, and I love the point you made too about kind of being courageous and, you know, having hard conversations or asking challenging questions when you need to, because we're all navigating in an unknown. And here's the thing, you know, if you have a brain, you have a bias. Bias is real. It's there. It's, it's there on an ordinary day. But when we are forced into a crisis situation and that amygdala kicks in, then we are absolutely taking mental shortcuts every day and bias is showing up all of the time. So, you know, on checking our bias, I'm constantly, even, even myself as a CDO, I am always thinking, who am I missing? What am I missing? You know, is this time frame that I'm, that I'm thinking about for doing a meeting or for setting an expectation? Is it realistic? Like every single day, checking it with myself and then even checking it with colleagues. I had a call this morning with some colleagues around a virtual platform they're getting ready to employ. Um, and they had this great idea about this platform. But from my mindset, there was a potential issue around bias that might show up in the technology. Mm -hmm. And everybody was really excited about the, the idea. And I'm sitting there going, do I say it? Do I not? And I'm like, you're the chief diversity officer. Of course you have to say it. <laughs> and I did. You know, it was just, I had to say it the right way. So when I put it out there, everybody was like, oh my God, great point. Didn't even think of that. Let's investigate. So I realized, you know what, we've got to speak up, we've got to be courageous, and we've got to know that if it, it's, it's just required to get us to the next point. Um, mm -hmm. And then finally on this, I would just say, you know, I think empathy um, and compassion and, and understanding for each other is critical more now than ever. Um, and really trying to, and again, this is where the check-ins help because you start to understand the reality that your colleagues may be living in. I mean, Claudia, like you said earlier, when we started this conversation, you know, the senior most people are probably really differently situated and not as connected at the same way 
people that are you know more junior in the in the food chain are so just for us for example we know that we have professionals who are living in the city and maybe they're you know first or second year associates and they're in small studio apartments and they're trapped in and there's nowhere for them to go and then we know we have executives who live on you know these huge properties and they've got pools and trees and you know they don't have to worry about any of that so if you're not cognizant um, and engaged with your people then you're not able to have that compassion and empathy um, so i try to think about that every day and think about how i can reach out um, and help a colleague or have a conversation you know with someone who may be lonely i've had a few people reach out to me at work who are alone and they just want someone to talk to so right. really thinking about how you're going to give of yourself in that way um, is really critical in this time. And then just being grateful, you know, for all that we do have um, is something I try to keep top of mind every day. And, and I love what your, your, you know, the specific mention on how everybody is in such a different situation. And in a way, and we, we don't have that opportunity physically when we're all physically in an office together. But, you know, when you do connect with somebody to really actually take that first 10 15 minutes to actually understand. So are you in the city right now? Are you, you know, like, like, you know, how, how, how old are your kids? You know, do you have support? You know, just to really understand the context that they're living in. Um, I, I mean, some of the friends that, you know, I know some folks on this community, they literally just moved to a new city and like they weren't even there for one week to start a new job. And, you know, all of this went down. And so, you know, so we're all just in these different contexts. And so just to only keep it about work and keep it about, okay, what needs to get done for work today and, and to really understand so that we can all collaborate if we need assets from each other, if we're collaborating on a project, delivering a service, launching, launching something that, you know, in order to get that collaboration and create that virtual working collaboration so that we can still do our best work and also, but we need to understand each other and the, the the diversity really of everybody's situations. So I love that um, and that this is something that we really need to learn how to do. These are new muscles that we're developing, right? Because we didn't have to do that before, you know, when we could just see all of our colleagues and, you know, call them on the phone or, um, yeah, and we're all, I know other folks have told me, you know, I'm, I'm also not used to being um, a chef and a teacher and a housekeeper <laughs> you know, all at the same time while I'm getting my work done from home. Yeah, no, what, what I was just going to say to that point, Claudia, and, and I see somebody just made a note about this as well. I think, you know, what's been really cool to see is our organization has also, because of all of these things we just discussed, really put a double down effort around mental health and well-being mm -hmm. um, and really appreciate it. I mean, look, anxiety, depression, and stress are on the uptick in exponential ways. I mean, just again, Google it and see some of the articles about it. And we recognized that, you know, two months ago. So, you know, the, the work and the offerings that we have going on right now um, through our BRGs, you know, through our EAP, through our different benefit and service providers has been awesome. Free exercise classes, you know, um, yoga classes, like all types of meditation classes. I mean, it's just been really, really neat. Um, but even if your company does not have something like that, you know, thinking about how you and a couple of coworkers can get together and do something as a group. Um, one of our groups in Montvale, they're literally doing an exercise challenge together. 
um, and it helps them stay engaged, it helps them stay connected, and they're actually holding each other accountable for making sure that everybody gets up and at least takes a walk for 30 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. So just finding ways to connect and help each other um, is really, really critical. It, it's almost like beyond just doing our work, it's, you know, how do we continue to foster community and connection? And, it, and like that is what drives engagement. So speaking of talent engagement and talent experience, and because and, I think that this is, again, such an opportunity where you got to double, you got to really be prioritizing it when the instinct is to, that it falls on the priority list is, because um, this is the opportunity, right, to really show what your culture really cares about. And and I know that even though many, many fear their jobs right now because many there's many layoffs and many, you know, people filing for unemployment right now in this country, but many people might decide not to come back to work. You know, people's life have been upended from this. And, you know, many people I know that, you know, living in a commuter town outside of New York City, I know that so many stay at home. I mean, so many with the working commuting parents are like, oh, my gosh, like this is like, I don't know if I can go back to commuting every day again. And so what is your, um, yeah, so I think retention, like, like talent retention is so important right now. And so, and it's, 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 it's an interesting place to be because I think as employees, we might feel like, oh my God, am I going to lose my job? Is, do I have job security? But then at the same time, there's, there's the two sides to it. So, um, so yeah, how are we just also from an HR in terms of implementing virtual culture programs? Because I actually believe that this is here to stay for, you know, like this is truly transforming the way the future of work happens and virtual working is going to be an you know, is going to be, and I don't, I honestly don't believe gender equity and it's truly actually ever going to be possible without offering people this flexibility. So um, just in terms of what, what you feel are innovative things for HR and just like just company leaders to be doing to beyond, beyond the points that you mentioned, is it online? It's, it's, you know, virtual benefits that you just mentioned, but what about from like a learning and development standpoint, you know, any, any programs or I'm so glad I'm so glad you raised it. I actually like leaned up in my seat when you said that because I got really <laughs> excited about this topic. So I think one of the first things I said to my leaders when this all went down was, all right, folks, I know we've been focused on talent development and retention, but we need to double down more so than ever on retaining and engaging our talent. Um, it is it is critical to do that. So to that end, and I'm sure many of your organizations are doing the same. I literally just got off a call this morning with our head of learning and our head of talent development, and we are reimagining all of the great internal live programs we were going to do. We're reimagining how we do them virtually um, because they really, really matter to our people. And we know from tracking the ROI on these programs that they are instrumental to retention and engagement. So just by way of example, Every year we have um, these professional development conferences for our BRG members. Mm -hmm. And we were supposed to have this huge, amazing conference in a couple of months, you know, in Florida. Everybody was, you know, so excited about it. And of course we had to cancel it. Well, you know what? We're reimagining it and we're going to do it virtually. Um, and we're gonna find ways to do it in a way that it's not all day you know, without having people on Zoom, but it will be something like, you know, we'll break it up into chunks of time through different parts of the day um, so that people can get engaged. We're also trying to think about ways we can do peer-to-peer -peer virtual mentoring 
so that people have a buddy that they can connect to and talk to every day. Again, with the thought of kind of tackling the loneliness issue that may come up for some, and then just trying to make sure that everybody has an ear and someone that they can talk to. Talent retention, and again, especially for our most underrepresented groups is critical. Because the other thing that we didn't talk about that I just want to put out there that, that we all should be thinking about, especially if you're in HR um, and if you're a diversity leader in any capacity, is when our companies, if our companies do have to right size or downsize, it's often the case that our most underrepresented groups are hit the hardest, right? So it is really important that we stay close to what are the planned actions with respect to uh, workforce management. Um, are there going to be layoffs? Are there going to be you know, pay cuts? Whatever the organization is going to do to keep the lights on, how do we as, as diversity leaders make sure that the decisions are being made equitably? Bias is not interrupting the process um, so that we don't have um, an overabundance of underrepresented professionals who end up taking the hit. So in all of those ways, right, I mean, actually, it's funny, my whole team right now is doubled down on various aspects of talent retention, engagement, and talent management for those very reasons. No, I love it. And I always say that, you know, you know, you're, we, we forget that just, again, human beings matter the most. And in any organization, it's your people matter the most. And your people is what drives your business. And so investing in your people, like you want to transform culture, you want to innovate invest in your people. And how do you invest in people is you provide these experiences, you develop them. And, you know, and oftentimes it's, it's so hard, you know, for some companies to get budget for these things. And it's like, oh my gosh, like these, this is what is drives your, this is who drives your business. And so, you know, your output is your people, comes from your people. And I'm just so beyond grateful um, for your wisdom and your best practices and, um, and just your insights, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. And, um, and look forward to seeing you next week. Okay. 